Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. podcast i am dax holt adam glenn out in new york sir how you doing uh, dude i'm doing good it's been good in here in new york i just got done interviewing uh neil degrasse tyson i was with charles barkley last night had pete Buttigieg, P- pete Buttigieg, whatever i was with him yesterday <laughs> I, I always mess up his last name it's the new yorker in me but i was with him yesterday i had some good people so it's been uh the weather's gotten warm so people don't f- it the, since the weather's getting warmer people actually speak to me a little bit longer outside. They're not as cold. So it's a little bit easier now for me. And New York's not freaking out over coronavirus. Oh, Everyone's are, running man. inside. It's terrible. I was just on the subway. One person sneezes and everyone runs away. It's terrible. <laughs> it's, it's, it's beyond terrible. I was supposed to be out in L.A. this week and it just got canceled because of it. Um, so it sucks, man. This thing's costing. It's just it just sucks. It really does. Um, you know, but what doesn't suck is today's show. Today's show, I'm excited, bud. So uh, this is someone that you and I have both reported on for many, many years uh, during our time at TMZ. Mr. Uh, Simon Rex is joining us. Sir, how are you? That's where I recognize you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I I was, uh, both of us were at TMZ for many, many years. I was there for 12 years. Adam, how long were you there? Seven. I don't know, roughly around there. Yeah, somewhere around, somewhere around that. that. So yeah, that must have been a fun one. The thirty mile zone. Most people don't know that's what it means. Thirty. Miles. It is. Wow, look at you and your deep knowledge. I like it. You know how many times I've been asked that question in my lifetime? What does TMZ stand for? Yeah, that thirty mile zone. So what is Santa Monica and Venice in the TMZ? By the way. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. It goes out. Yeah, 30 miles from like literally Grauman's Theater is kind of like the epicenter. Okay. And then you go 30 miles in a, all directions. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, so I guess uh, the old film term there was like if you went outside the 30 mile zone, then you had to pay your crew, your cast extra because they then had to get hotels. They couldn't drive back home, that whole thing. I did that part. I didn't know. That's good to know. I see it's an old Hollywood thing. Okay, got it. All old Hollywood term. But uh, I was going to say, it's it's funny because before we, we came on here, I, you know, Adam and I were just talking about you and what we were going to chat about today. And it was funny because back in like the hate, like TMZ's height, which I mean, I guess I think of it as 2007 time, 2008, 2007, just because that's when it was wild. That was Lindsay Lohan, Paris Hilton every day, Britney Spears craziness. I swear we were talking about you just as much. I mean, you were you were a fixture for all of us uh, TMZ employees just because you were out partying a lot with these people. Yeah, I was. I can't believe I'm here alive. To be honest with you, I, that's the reason I moved out to the beach a few years ago and I sold my house in Laurel Canyon because I was like, the TMZ is going to kill me. This place is so <laughs> crazy. It was. It was really fun when you're in your 20s and 30s. I mean, even in your like mid to late 30s, it starts getting a little like kind of creepy. If 
It's, I think they say the cutoff age at a nightclub is 37, I heard on the radio. Like, if you're over 37, you shouldn't be in a nightclub, you know, and start to get gray hairs, and you don't know the music that's playing, and you're yelling over a song to some girl that's you know, <laughs> 20 years younger than you, and you're just like, hey, get weird. So it, it was time to, like, uh, slow down the partying. But, yeah, I was definitely in when it was, like, when there was some magic out. I, I always ask my friends. I don't know, is it that it isn't as much fun anymore or is it that we're older? But I feel it's both because I'll go out once every few months and check out what's going on. I'm like, there's no vibe anymore. Mm -mm. It's, it's not the same. It ain't is the it... same as that era. Like the 2000, 2000 to 2010 was like, it was a magical time in L.A. There was like a vibe happening, you know which I just don't feel as much anymore. But again, maybe I'm all old. Or I was going to say, maybe it's just because we have the gray hairs coming in and we're telling the people to turn the music down. But it really was like, it was fun. It was fun. I mean, listen, I wasn't the one partying, but I was covering all the partying because I had to be up at four in the morning. But it, it was every night there was something going on. And like really Paris Hilton gave us constant stuff to talk about. Like she knew exactly what she was doing. I always praise Paris because there's no one else that out, out there like her that was just being themselves and owning it and partying and would come out and work the cameras and then go home and do it all over the next day. Yeah, she, you said it perfectly. I always said that about her, too. I go, she knows exactly what she's doing. She's, uh, I think people have this misconception that she's like a dumb party girl. She's actually a smart party girl. Yep. Yeah. A really smart she's girl. Smart. Yeah, she knows exactly what she's doing. And uh, you're, you're absolutely right. There's something um, refreshing about someone that just owns it. And uh, you know what's crazy? I saw her, <laughs> I saw her at Burning Man this year. And I was looking at her, I'm like, how have you not aged? Like, you've been going so hard for so long. And I remember her saying to me once, she's like, I was told by someone a long time ago that if I want to stay looking young, to stay out of the sun. So all her partying days somehow preserved her looks because she knew to never, like, just be laying out all day. So she still looks great. And she, it's crazy. Like, she's still killing it. It's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's what's the one thing people don't know about Paris that you would find interesting? Like something that what is she like behind closed doors where she doesn't have a camera around and she's not putting on the Paris persona, let's she's say. Black penis. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, is it a big black penis or just a little black penis? Well, that goes without saying. Uh, it, <laughs> you know, she actually here's the thing with Paris. Uh, I. Like Charlie Sheen, not to drop names, but we're going to go for it on the show. Um, Charlie Sheen and Paris are like probably my two like super famous celebrity friends that like you can't go anywhere with them because it's like a nightmare to go out with them. And they're both so misunderstood and they're both very smart and they both have this party image. And because I you know in all fairness, yeah, they party. But, um, you know, Paris actually is a very sweet, like. I don't know if she does it on purpose, but she she could come off like she just doesn't, you know, give a fuck. And she really doesn't, which is a cool quality. But she is really sweet and thoughtful and is very nice to her fans. If someone asks her for a picture, she never says no. If, you know, um, she'll, she'll like give people credit and she'll be like, oh, she's just, she's actually sweet. You know, it's interesting. Um, like, I remember when I did a movie with her in Miami in like, oh, three, oh, four, we did a movie for a, a, a called uh, Pledge This. It was a National Lampoon movie. And she would always be doing cool things, like she would go to some woman's house and sing happy birthday to the woman's teenage daughter and make her life, you know? <laughs> just, you know, she was just 
very, you know, could be very sweet and generous with her fame, you know? That says a lot about her, you know? That, and I always like to see that. Like, it's one thing, you know, listen, I was on the other side of the newsroom. I'm a, I was a, I'm a paparazzi. That's what I was doing. And, you know, it's one thing to be nasty to the paparazzi, but it's one thing to be good to the fans. And that's the one thing I always say about Paris. She was always good to the fans. She always stole photos. Same thing to me from, my, from what I've noticed with Kim Kardashian. She was always good to the fans, always took photos for them. And to me, that said a lot about her. Um, but it was like, but what do you mean about the party scene? Like, just because I feel like when people say they're a partier, it says such a bad thing. Like, it's not like they're, I feel like when you say partier, it's like they weren't doing anything bad. They were just being social. They had a night, they like to go out at night and enjoy themselves. So how did, it, like, when I watch, I see the young kids of now Hollywood partying, they hang out, you know, I follow them on social media. They hang out at some mansion that they're renting, that there's no furniture, and they just make TikToks all night. That's all they're doing is dancing, <laughs> making TikToks all night. But you guys were actually doing stuff. What was the magic that was happening at these clubs? Were you guys like thinking about deals, or were you, what, like what were you guys trying to do? Was it just a social scene, or were you guys trying to actually make content or business moves there, or did you make any moves there? Here's my theory. I think that that was right around before the time that smartphones and social media was on your phone. And I think what happened was eventually there became this, uh, you know, time where all of a sudden everybody was um, everybody was filming you all the time on their phone. So you couldn't have a good time. Like you couldn't just be a wild animal because someone's going to film you, tag you and rat on you. So now we live in a rat culture, whereas even back then there was this code where it would be like, Hey, you know, you, you just wouldn't do that. And now it's just like the gloves are off and anyone can come up and just start filming you and tag you without even asking you. So like everyone's now on their best behavior. Right. And obviously, in a, and this is for a good reason, like, you know, there's such problems with like, you know, the drug thing, you know, now you could be exposed and, and lose your job in this cancel culture. Back then it was still sort of the end of the rock and roll days where it was still just like, okay to party and maybe it wasn't as taboo and like you weren't going to get busted for doing it so people were just loose it was just more of a like a fun free time and then all of a sudden slowly but surely this next generation of uh people that grew up with their phone it was just like i remember when it started with i think you know snapchat and instagram it was just like started to be accepted that you could come up and film someone doing whatever they were doing out at night and then people were afraid that they're going to be exposed personally so it got mm -hmm. really uh conservative i think and it wasn't fun anymore i remember it happened i went to a club like again like every few months i'll go out and i go to this club here in la it was like three years ago and i get to the table of all the cool new like you know uh snapchat stars and youtube stars and i didn't know who half of them were and they're like oh simon come sit at the cool table and i get there and every single fucking person at the table immediately started filming you and then filming themselves and then showing it to you and tagging you without even asking you. And like, nobody was in the moment. Everybody was just like doing it for a show. And I was like, Oh, this sucks. This is no vibe. Like everyone's just on their phone. So I think that was a really big part of it was the technology. I don't know if that theory is true. That's just my opinion. Something like that. And I don't know what it was too. It was like, I think people had more money back then. People were like, you know, uh, people were just spending money and like there was, there was just an era in, where L.A. had something like there was LMFAO was like party fun music. Um, there wasn't it was just a different time. I don't understand why it was just better. Um, yeah. That's, what was the what was the vibe like being in the club? Because you're in there, you're partying. 
But again, you were there in there during the paparazzi heyday. Did were you guys? What was it like? What was it like when you walk out of the club? You know, there's gonna be cameras there, a bunch of people. Yeah, is it like a whole? Is it like a whole planning process to leave? I got to imagine with like Paris Hilton, you're like, okay, let's gather up the troops, let's get ready, we're gonna go out and face the paparazzi. Yeah, and then you'd watch this sort of these people that would fight to get in the shot with her. You would kind of see the ugliness of people wanting to be famous. So it's almost like, you know, Paris, they would just follow her everywhere. And I'd be friends with Paris, so I'd always be like a, you know, a part of the entourage with her or whoever or, you know, Lindsay Lohan or whoever. Or like, you know, you, the, it, it was inevitable that you're going to be shot. But at least the paparazzi was doing it um, for a publication and it was known and Paris, like you said, Paris would own it and, and step right in front of the camera and give you the shot. And and um, what if any if anything, it was more. Um, yeah, like like you kind of want to get your shit together so you don't look too fucked up coming out of the club on camera. And I've had that happen a few times. Like I made the mistake, you know, I'm even I remember my mom saying once, like I came out of a club really drunk and sloppy and I was just, you know, talking shit. I don't know if it was TMZ, but I was talking shit to the camera and just being a kind of an obnoxious kind of punk. And uh, and then the next day, you're like, oh, fuck, why did I do that? Like, I should have you know, <laughs> known better. And so, yeah, it becomes part of the evening is like, don't play yourself out. You could get, you know what I mean? Like, don't look like a dick because um, that could happen and has happened a lot. Uh, and then some people just always come out smelling like roses. Like, Paris could come staggering out of a club, tipsy. And say something cute and win every time. It's just weird, <laughs> yeah. you know. You, I was gonna say so, but you were hanging out when when Kim was in the entourage, right? Yeah. Like so. So how is? I mean, when you first met Kim, did you say, "Oh, this girl has magic"? That she is going to be one of the biggest stars on the entire planet? Yeah. I well, okay. So I didn't know it would be that big. Like I don't think anybody did, but I just remember um, her being friends with Paris and. Uh, I remember Paris bringing her out and around and I was just, you know, obviously she's an attractive woman and uh, I just thought she was hot. I didn't think she was going to become like this, the next Paris Hilton, so to speak, and that she was sort of the queen of, you know, um, that, that like that level of paparazzi and the attention and everything that, that goes with it. I didn't think it would be that big. I just remember it was Paris's friend and I just remember she was kind of quiet and reserved and she didn't have the, she didn't have the personality of Paris, right? Like Paris has a very, Paris is almost like one of my funny guy friends. It's weird. Like, and I don't say that in a bad way. Like that's a good quality to have in a girl is that she could hang with the boys and be funny. I didn't get that from Kim. Like I never really hung out with her that much. She was just there, but she would always just kind of be sitting there looking hot and playing the wall and getting attention for just being hot. And then damn, it just seemed like, you know, overnight she just exploded. And then I think there was a weird thing with her in Paris because Paris put her on, just like Paris puts a lot of people on, like Nicole Richie. She brought her on that. I remember when Paris Hilton told me, Simon, who should I pick for The Simple Life? I want to pick a friend to be on The Simple Life with me. And she picked Nicole Richie. And I remember if she hadn't picked Nicole Richie, that put her on that whole trajectory of her life, which is now like a fashionista and like a, yeah. you know, an icon. Like Paris could have picked someone else and that might have never happened. That's how much power she had. And she did the same with Kim Kardashian. She chose to bring her out and put her on. And just by association, these people got famous and took it to another level. You know, it's crazy. It's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. That, that's power. Like that's that's like crazy power. And now I feel that Kim does that. I mean, she's made her entire family famous. Yeah. She's made her friends like Jonathan Cheban famous. I mean, it it's crazy how these these 
stars can start introducing other people to the world. And I agree. It's, you know, it's funny. I, I, I forgot that Nicole Richie, like, basically became famous through Paris. You just forget because she's been famous for so long and you forget how they enter the world. Whereas Kim, she's kind of synonymous with being Paris's like best friend come come up celebrity because of Paris. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's like it's like a big high school out here. Like it's actually interesting. It's almost like the there's very it's very clicky. There's the cool crew. There's and it's probably about the size of a high school and how many people are sort of in there's probably like a you know 1500 people that you guys would at TMZ would care to come snap a picture of. So it's a very small circle considering how many people come to LA to make it. There's a very, you're either in or you're out. And I always said that I was in, but I wasn't really like on the forefront. I was always on the sideline. Like I always said it like if if Hollywood was the NFL, I was on the playing field, but I was on the sideline and I wasn't getting any playing time, but at least I was in the game, you know, I was there, but I wasn't the focal point. I was just sort of by association I was in the scene, so I got exposed to it and got to enjoy all the the perks, like flying on the private jet with Paris and going to Sundance and getting all the free shit and, you know, all these things that I kind of just got to reap the benefits of it without really having, like, myself, you know, yeah, I did, like, Scary Movie, which was good, and some TV shows on WB back in the early 2000s, and I was on MTV, but I was never, like, an A-list celebrity, and that's fine with me. Like, I don't think I'd ever want to be that famous because I see what it does. Like, again, Paris handles it really well, but... When you're that famous, I don't even think it's worth the money because it, you have no privacy, you know? Like, I might get stopped two or three times a day, maybe, and be like, hey, what's up, man? Love you. And that's it. But I'm not getting, like, harassed, and I'm not – I don't think I'd want that, you know? So it, it's funny you say that because I feel when we have people on our, our podcast, the people that – aren't at that level are way more interesting than A-listers. Way more interesting. Like, the stories that, the, you know, like, you say it as if, like, oh, it's, you know, I'm, I am I wasn't the A-lister. That, to me, like, we don't want to talk to those people. No, they have <laughs> it's to it's say. so Simon, true. I'd rather, I'd rather like, talk to you because you're, you're, you you're just more fascinating, more interesting. More interesting. And, you, Simon, to be honest with you, Simon, you're someone who I feel like you know, personally, I don't know, you know, but I, I, don't like know, I, but I feel like I somewhat grew up with you. You know, I grew up during the MTV era. You know, that was the first time I saw you in my household. So it was like, you were part of my childhood. You were still a young guy yourself. You were still a young guy yourself. So it's not like you're just an old person. You're just my big part of my up and then growing up and then i saw you perform live with charlie sheen i've seen you solo you know i'm solo you know i'm a fan of your work i'm a fan of your work brother but what did you is what did you know you were first you know you were first a model so you were first so you were first into the modeling world into the modeling world then you became a vj how did the whole vj mtv vj come about how did that how did that fall into your hands how did that fall into your hands it was very fortuitous in that there was no plan for any of it. I actually became a model because I, da- I was working at a potato sack factory in Oakland, California when I was a, a fucking right out of high school. And I meet this beautiful model girl at a rave in San Francisco. I dropped everything and moved to L.A. with her. And she was a model, quote unquote. And she was going to castings and trying to make it. So I would just go with her to her castings. And one day I'm sitting in a, a casting waiting for her. And the casting director came out and she's like, who's that? And she's like, oh, that's my boyfriend. And she, they go, oh, he's got a good look. Next thing you know, I'm on a flight to Milan and I'm fucking doing male modeling in Milan. And then I'm living in Paris and then I'm living in New York. And I'm just like, what the fuck just happened? I didn't want any of this, but I'll take it. And then I'm living in New York City. And I remember there was a supermodel named Marcus Schenkenberg. Marcus Schenkenberg. Yeah, of course. Remember that guy. Yeah. He was the dude. And he 
there was a uh, Kennedy was a VJ on MTV. Do you Kennedy's remember on her? Fox News. Oh, Kennedy's of on Fox News now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. So Kennedy had a show called Get Late with Kennedy, where she interviewed people. So Marcus Schenkenberg was the guest on her talk show, but he was so busy he couldn't do the walkthrough rehearsal. So my agent. Uh, my modeling agent goes, we should send Simon to the um, rehearsal because he'll probably, you know, be funny and, and, you know, make him laugh and it'll be a good thing for Simon to do. So I go fill in for Marcus Schenkenberg as the rehearsal boy. And MTV said, hey, do you want a job as a VJ? We think you're really funny. And I go, I have no journalism experience. I have no music knowledge and I've never been on TV in my life. And they go, perfect. You got the job. <laughs> <laughs> so I got that job totally freak accident lucky. And then that, after being on MTV and meeting everybody from interviewing Tupac to interviewing Howard Stern to interviewing fucking like every musician, every I interviewed everybody and met everyone in the two years that I was there. And, you know, back then in the late 90s, MTV was pre-social media, pre-internet. So that was the only place you'd go to to see like what's cool and what's you know, what movies are popping and what band is cool. So I was like in the middle of all of that reporting live, you know, interviewing Madonna. Like I was like, what the fuck is happening? Right. And then Gus Van Sant, famous movie director who did Goodwill Hunting um, and other movies. He saw me on MTV and he's like, oh, I want to read Simon for this movie called Goodwill Hunting that I'm doing. So I went and met with Matt Damon and him and I sat down and I read lines for an audition and I'd never acted before. And Gus Van Sant stopped me and goes, Simon, I have to stop you. That was the worst audition I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm not an actor. I don't know what I'm doing. He goes, it's okay. You're not ready yet. You have something. I'm going to send you to an acting coach and you'll learn and then you'll work. So he sent me to an acting coach. I started going to this like serious like theater class in New York and I started taking acting classes. And then I just started booking TV shows and like everything that happened to me fucking just fell in my lap. Like I never wanted to be a model or a VJ or an actor. It just all happened. And here we are talking like there was no plan, you know. So when people ask me like, hey, what's some advice to get into the business? I'm like, dude, don't ask me like I, I'm just it's lucky. called luck. Yeah, right <laughs> A place, lot of it. Right place, right time. Well, that says a lot yeah. about you, though, as a Do person. You, they saw something in you that someone says, hey, you could be on air personality. Hey, you should be talking to Tupac. What do you think people saw in you? that said, this guy has what it takes. He could be an actor. He should be reading for this movie. He should be on this TV show. Because you, you, you didn't set out to do it, but then people saw something in you. Do you ever kind of self-reflect and think, man, what do they see in me that maybe I don't see in myself? Or, uh, you, know, you know, what's that spunk in me? Or what do I have in me that they kind of see that you could kind of recommend to people? Yeah, I mean, I think they just saw a, maybe a type of sense of humor and a charisma that maybe like I have like, you know, I'm kind of, as you can hear in this interview, like I got a lot of energy and I like, you know, my brain works kind of fast and I'm always thinking of the joke and I'm looking, you know, like I, I think they just saw something that they could work with that, uh, you know, maybe, you know, honestly, I don't know. I don't even have the highest self-esteem. I always ask myself, like, why the fuck would they want me? Like, I don't get it. You know, some of my friends that I know are way funnier than me you know, more talented than me, all these things. But I was just like, for whatever reason, they saw something that they wanted. And what I really think it is, is that I, I think people always say like, I'll, I'll quite often I'll get jobs for like a movie or something. And they're like, look, your acting was fine, but really like, we just like your energy and your vibe. And we want you, we want to work with you because you seem cool. So it's kind of like, I think that's what worked for me was that like, I'm not a dick. I'm pretty, I'd like to think I'm pretty humble um, for being the best actor VJ of all time. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> And 
I just think that, yeah, I just had a good energy, I guess. I don't, even saying that feels pretentious, like, oh, I got a good energy, but that's, it must be what it is. They just saw something that is that thing, you know, like that. I don't think you could learn. I don't think you can go to school and learn to have that, that quality, whatever it is, that like personality. I've always been the class clown. I've always been sort of a silly goose. You know, I think that's it. I don't know. I don't know. That's cool, man. That's what, cool, what's, man. What's been your, your favorite gig so far? I mean, like, we've talked a little bit. You went on tour, Charlie. You did the MTV stuff. You've done movies. Like, what do you feel like has been your favorite job thus far? Um, I would say Scary Movie 3 because I got to work with my heroes like Leslie Nielsen, Naked Gun, uh, David Zucker, who wrote Airplane and Naked Gun. I got to work with Charlie Sheen and Kevin Hart and Anthony Anderson and, you know, these talented and, you know, George Carlin and Anna Ferris, And I just basically got to work with like the best of the best and do the lead in a studio film and get to do comedy. Like, so that was pretty much Scary Movie 3, 4, and 5 were like the biggest things that I've done and probably the most cool because you tour the world and do press and, you know, you're, you know, and it was, it was a fucking Weinstein movie too, not to get, to go down that road, but the Weinsteins produced it. And at the time they were the biggest thing. So that was like the biggest, you know, cool, fun comedy because I like comedy. But then also, when I started doing my music career, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with me and Mickey sure, Avalon. I sure, I saw you guys live. Dirt Nasty, baby. Yeah, so I did the, you know, the music thing just, again, was another accident. It was just me fucking around with my friends, and, you know, the right people heard it, and, and we got signed. And next thing you know, we're, this was pretty cool, is when we toured with the Chili Peppers in Europe. So all of a sudden, me and Mickey Avalon are, are standing in front of 70,000 people in a soccer stadium in Europe, opening up for the Chili Peppers, looking at each other like, how the fuck did we get here? Like, it was another one of those moments, like, is this real, you know? I mean, <laughs> I've, I've just gotten to do, like, so many lucky things, like fashion industry, MTV, acting, music industry, and I've had moderate success in all of them. Like, most people would be lucky to do one of those things. Um, and now I'm doing a podcast, which I love. I'm always reinventing myself because I get, you know, I just want to do new things. So now I'm doing a podcast, which I love doing that because I get to talk to people like this, which is fun. So I'm just like constantly reinventing and changing because you can't just do one thing. You, you, know? you met two people Absolutely. that I'm huge fans of. And fortunately, I'm not going to be able to meet. And you mentioned already two and the two people you already mentioned. One was Leslie Nielsen. The other was Tupac. What was the vibe like when you met both? Uh, well, Tupac maybe had the most charisma of anyone I've ever met in my life. Like I was to and, and I hate to say this, because, but I'm just being honest. Like I was never really a big Tupac fan of his music. I was a fan of his, you know, what he was about and his, you know, he was a star and all these things. But I was never like buying his albums and this and that. So when I interviewed him, I remember like he was this was right before he died. I was the last person at MTV to interview him. It was crazy. And I remember when he showed up, <laughs> it was actually kind of funny. I had finished work at some events in Hollywood at MTV and I smoked a joint with my boss, uh, who was my <laughs> segment at MTV. We got high. We smoked a joint. And then all of a sudden they go, dude, Tupac's here. You have to interview him live on camera right now, live. And I was like, fuck, dude, I'm stoned. I, 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 I don't know what to do. And they go, don't worry, he's more stoned than you. And <laughs> they handed the microphone to me and I was super baked. You can look this up on YouTube. You could look up Dirt uh, Simon Rex Tupac interview. And I'm so high that I'm just looking at the ground, like nodding my head nervously. And he's being so cool and he's mocking me and he's doing like, hey, I'm Simon Rex. He was like doing my voice. And he was so charismatic, and I never saw anybody light up a room. When he walked in a room, there was like, he. it's interesting. Some people just have that thing. Like, he 
his energy was like nothing. I've, I, I, I'm often underwhelmed when I meet a lot of celebrities. Like I'll meet someone and be like, that's it? Like I thought they would be like way more interesting or, you know, uh, have that charisma. But he was just off the chain. Like, I don't know what the word is. He just had that thing, man. He just lit the room up and made everybody feel, you know, eye contact with everybody and super like just real, dude. He was like, he was the best. Um, so that's what I felt with him. He was just super cool. And then Leslie Nielsen was a big kid. He'd walk around with a fart machine and like, <laughs> like if somebody was at the craft table getting food, he'd go behind him and turn on the fart machine and, and, and be like, oh my God, you're disgusting. And walk <laughs> He was like a big kid, you know, and he just loved golf. And uh, yeah, he was he was one of my heroes growing up. Like I just wanted to be like do movies like him and I ended up getting to do it. But yeah, lo- those two guys were fucking legends. I'm very lucky to get to work. I've worked with those guys. It's just sur- it almost doesn't even seem like it happened. Like I look back on him like it just seems like a dream or something. Yeah, it's a crazy career. It's a Is crazy there anyone career. that you that you've met over the years that you you were really excited to meet, and then you met him, and you were like, hmm, didn't expect that. And, like, that was not the person I, like, or maybe just the interview didn't go well on MTV or something. Just someone that you expected so much more. Underwhelming. Yeah. Oh, man. Almost most. Um, oh, God. I don't, I, I don't want to bad talk anyone. and I can't think of who jumps out the most at me right now. But uh, I do remember, uh, uh, I don't know if this is a big enough name, but there was an actor named Eric Stoltz. Sure. Who played Mask. There was a movie he did called Mask where he had like the deformed face. And I remember uh, I remember I was interviewing at MTV and uh, he was promoting some movie and I made a bad joke. I was like, oh, Eric, you, you look a lot better since you shot the movie Mask. He was like, deformed. <laughs> ha ha ha, real funny, asshole. Why don't we start this over and don't do that joke? I was like, whoa, dude. Like, it was just so over the top. Like, I was just kidding, bro. And I, that one kind of jarred me. Uh, but more to answer your question better like that was underwhelming you know what um i remember seeing tom cruise on the set of uh of when i was shooting a tv show on the warner brothers lot he was shooting a movie and i walked right up to him and it wasn't just his size i don't want to be mean but he was really little right and i remember just looking at him and being like fuck that's tom cruise he just looked like a normal little guy (laughs) i didn't really talk to him or anything, but I was just standing there and I didn't feel the magic. Like I didn't, it wasn't just like, I don't know. That was, he was a little underwhelming. Um, yeah, that one kind of jumps out at me and, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's funny because they make him, but it's hard to think. Mine was Ryan Reynolds. They really do a good job making him look big. Sorry. Ryan Reynolds is yours. I was just talking about how Tom Cruise, he really is way smaller than they make him look on TV and movies. And, it is shocking. But okay, you said Ryan Reynolds is yours? Again, uh, some people say, I try to, like, you know, I saw him on the street and I kind of went up to him and, you know, I kind of said, hey, man, listen, I, I, in high school, I got nominated as the Ryan Reynolds Award because we saw we were like, bro, you know, just kind of straight conversation. I didn't ask for anything. I just thought it was like a cute, funny story. And he couldn't have been any more kind of, you wanted him to be like Van Wilder because that was such kind of a great character. Terrible movie, but good character. And it just wasn't. It was very underwhelmed by that. You know, it was just like, ah, never mind. You were, you're not the guy I wanted you to be. And I don't know what I wanted him to be, but you want him to just to be like a character in one of his movies. And he was the exact opposite, which I think affected his career. And then he kind of went into Deadpool and then kind of became back to being the Ryan Reynolds. So I don't know. That was mine. But I think it's interesting. Yeah. Sometimes you don't want to meet these people because you'll often be disappointed. It's almost better to not meet them like. 
I can't think of who right now, but sometimes you'll see someone be like, do you want to meet them? And I'm like, no, I actually don't want to meet them. I'd rather not. I want to keep my idea of who they are in my head and it doesn't happen. Kind of like, I don't want to bother them. Uh, but it's, I think it's cool that you, you know, developed a really strong relationship with Charlie Sheen. I know you went on tour with him, you know, and that, you know, we covered that. That was just absolutely insane. Dax, we we covered that whole tour like it was the I mean, I, I each city. It was ridiculous. But I mean, listen, Charlie, you know, I think going from like literally the highest paid actor on television you know, and for someone who is almost untouchable, like you never heard stories about Charlie Sheen to his whole life kind of being exposed in the public. I think people had this crazy fascination with him. So him going on tour was like a chance to see him in person, see what was going on. And through everyone that I've talked to, because um, I have some friends that are very close to him, it's the same thing. The most generous, kind hearted person misunderstood people don't understand what he's like behind closed doors and people are like he is wonderful that's all i hear about him is that he's wonderful you, you you nailed it he's so generous he's so misunderstood he's such a good guy he just wants to hang with the boys but he's so like you know he can't really go out because he's charlie sheen and uh you know he's yeah man he's the best like i did a comedy central show with nick swartzen uh, a couple years ago and you know, the network wanted us to get big celebrity guest stars. And I got Charlie Sheen. He like I asked him to do it and uh, he didn't even hesitate. He, you know, this was just like a little Comedy Central show that to him he didn't need to do. And he was like, I'll be there. What time? And he shows up early. He memorizes his lines so good that he even had notes. He's like, what if I my character did this? I'm like, dude, look how cool you are. Like you show up early. You're so invested in this little role on a guest star on my Comedy Central show. That's like like who does that? You know what I mean? Like. He's just such a good guy. And that and that's just his work ethic. Um, oh man. Yeah. I don't that whole tour was just absolutely insane. We could talk about that. I mean, that whole thing was so crazy. I'll never forget I was flying to Utah to do a music gig, and as soon as I landed in Utah, I get a call from Charlie. He's like, Where are you? I need you to come over right now. And I was like, I'm in Utah. He's like, What are you doing? I said, I got a gig today. He's like, I'll pay you double of the gig and fly you home right now. And I was like, Okay, what's up? So um, he, he fucking, I'm like, I don't want the money. What do you, what do you need? And he's like, I'm going to go, go public on the, on the internet and I'm going to make an announcement. I want you to be there with me. And I was like, fuck it. All right, I'll go. So I flew right back home to LA. We go to his house in Bel Air. And I don't know if you remember this part, but he did a live stream and I was like standing behind him and he wanted me to like DJ for him. And I was like, standing him, like as his DJ. And I was just like, whatever you want, I got you, Charlie. I don't know what this is about, but all right. And then he had his girls and he made the announcement, the Tiger Blood Tour, right? Or whatever it was, the uh, the abominable, what was it called? The uh, the Ch Abominable Truth Tour or whatever it was called. Yeah. Uh, the Torpedo of Truth Tour is what it was. And that's when he goes, I got Tiger Blood and all that came out. And he was just like, you know, uh, winning that whole thing. And so I went on tour with him and we, you know, he <laughs> were flying around on private jets, staying at the Ritz-Carlton um, everywhere we went and we're just going on stage and the show was a disaster. You know, we got booed off the stage the first night in Detroit. It was absolutely awful. And then I saved look to, and I don't want to just be to, to brag, but I think I saved the show because he was getting such bad reviews. And I was like, Charlie, you need to have like a comedian come on the show and glue it together. I was like, we need Jeff Ross. And he's like, who's Jeff Ross? And I go, do you trust me? He's like, yeah, I go, Jeff Ross will come on the show and kind of tie it all together and be funny, like guide. For, you know, to guide the show. So Jeff Ross comes out. I bring him on board um, and it became the Charlie Sheen roast. 
So the show eventually evolved into him coming out when Charlie was bombing on stage in a hazmat suit, which is like the bomb suit. And he'd be like, Charlie, you're bombing, buddy. And he'd start roasting Charlie, which led to the Comedy Central Charlie Sheen roast, which I basically was like, oh, my God, I set all this up. Like, this is so cool. And then I, uh, at this point, the show had evolved into so many different things and it started getting, it started with really bad reviews, but by the time we got to Radio City Music Hall, we kind of saved the show a little bit and it kind of took a turn for the better. And, and I remember saying to Charlie, like, why are you doing this, dude? And he goes, look, my whole life, I've been told, say this, stand here, wear this, and say it like this. And I'm tired of everything and I want to do it my way and I don't care what happens. And it's like, all right, dude, I respect that. Like, you, you <laughs> You got slaughtered by the press, but he just did it his way. He didn't give a fuck, you know? And I was just there to help him with it. And then uh, it was a lot of fun. And, and here's one other last thing I'll say about how cool Charlie is. We would get to the Ritz-Carlton or whatever hotel we were at, and he would say, listen, Simon, I want you to order as much food as you could eat. <laughs> I'd say, why, why? He goes, I want you to go use the spa. I want you to get the most expensive massage. I want you to order the steak, the lobster, a bottle of wine, and I want you to live like a king. And I was like, well, why? What do you mean? He goes, Simon, I can't spend all the money that I have. And today alone, I'll make enough money in residuals from two and a half men to pay for this whole day for everyone on the crew to have steak, lobster, and a massage. Enjoy yourself. And I was just like, fuck, dude. Like, what a cool dude. Like, that is absolutely incredible. Yeah, he's the best. He's the best. He was just so generous. Um, That's incredible. I actually remember you going in. So I was actually covering it during that time. And. I remember you guys, I think, were staying, Charlie was staying at least at the Trump International Hotel. And I remember you walking into, and it was like the Beatles were there. You would have thought the Jonas Brothers were staying there. You would have thought, because there was tons of people outside, from news crews to press to fans. And then I remember talking to you, Simon, as you were going into the event. And there was people on both sides of the barricades. Like the, You couldn't believe what was going on. It was the hardest ticket to get. But it was just complete mayhem. No one knew what they were getting into. But it was, it was crazy how big that was. And I mean, to be just to see that Charlie, just to be a small part of that. I mean, must have been the most. You have such a story in you. Like you're just one of those guys who somehow you like. I don't. It's like you made it through Hollywood, and you're still going, and you're still young, and you had so many experiences to so many people in so many different environments that. It's kind of crazy, dude. Like, do you ever feel like, holy shit, like, what the fuck am I doing or what is going on? Every day, <laughs> every day. Uh, it's still surreal to me. And I'm just like, I just go with the flow and go along with the ride. And like, obviously, there's peaks and valleys and ups and downs. But I've always maintained, like, I'd like to think a level head because like I, I uh, you know, in this business, you know, you're. You're not going to always be working all the time. You're going to have a lot of downtime. So in that downtime, you better have a good head on your shoulders or you're going to go crazy. And like you you see so many people come and go and like, you know, the the game has changed so much, too. Like it ain't like it used to be like I just shot a movie and it was an independent movie and I make no money. Like and when I say no money, I mean, I did a movie for a month and made fucking three thousand dollars. And I that I don't mean to sound like an asshole to someone watching this that makes, you know, drives a bus or teaches in school and makes less money. But in the back in the day, if you shot a movie for a month, you were making some money. There's just not as much money in the Hollywood uh, business anymore unless you're shooting like a big studio movie, you know, like a rock movie or a Kevin Hart movie. But these indie movies don't really pay anything. It's all become sort of this YouTube world and like, you know, low budget production stuff. So it's like, you know, I'm not making a ton of money 
like I used to because the money doesn't exist as it, as it, as it, as much as it used to. You know, like there was a time when I remember when I was in L.A. in the early 2000s where like the WB network would pay me to hold me. There was, it was called a holding deal and they would pay you six figures to say, hey, here's six figures. You're not allowed to work on another network. We're going to find something for you. And you would just sit around for months living off that money they just gave you to hold you. Okay, that's how it used to be. There was so much money, and now that money doesn't exist. So you sort of eat the humble pie, and you know, I sold my big house in Laurel Canyon, and now I got an apartment, and, and it's all good. Like you got to stay humble. Like you can't have an ego about it, or you'll go fucking nuts. So, but then the funny thing about this business is, I could get a phone call today, like, "Hey, remember that audition you did last week? You booked a TV show, and then you're fucking making a bunch of money again." So you're just always sort of in limbo, you know. So there's no stability in this business. So you got to stay like, you just got to keep, I don't know, man, you just got to keep going. There's been times where I just wanted to say, fuck this business. But when it's good, it's good. You know, uh, it's just, a, it's like a surreal dream. I don't even know how to explain it. Like, so let, let's say you, you quit acting, you quit everything today. What would you be doing? A freelance gynecologist. I'm just kidding. No, like, I would figure some, you know what, I, I actually just bought a house out in Joshua Tree, which is, uh, you know, I took like my life savings and I just went and bought this little like retreat house out in the desert. And I would probably do something like, you know, create some type of uh, retreat out there for weddings or a yoga retreat or for people to go out there and do like a, you know, nature. Um, I want to do something where it's almost like, I feel like we, we, especially these Hollywood people that I know, everybody goes so crazy with like, some of my best friends who are really famous and rich, they're fucking miserable, okay? Fame and money doesn't make you happy. If anything, it makes you fucking crazy. So I want to provide, I'd do something like where I would have a place for my, my the people that need it to just come out to the desert and be in nature for a couple of days and unplug and just like sit under the stars and have a fire and, and fucking play board games and put your phone away and just kind of talk, like get back to basics and sort of get away from the madness because it'll do your fucking head in. Like, I don't want to say who these people are, but I have very successful friends that in, in the last two weeks both hit me up about how depressed they are, how unhappy they are. And you would think, oh, man, they're killing it. They must be so happy. It's like, it's not what it seems. And you guys know that because you are on the inside and you know about it. But to your average middle American, you might think, oh, it's all good. But there's sort of a, a sickness in, in L.A. that that consumes people. And it's, uh, it's, it's fucking heavy. You know what I mean? Like, fame's a weird thing. What would you be? So it's kind of you. So you'd start up like kind of the Betty Ford Center, but yeah. not for for addicts, but for people that need to get it away because of their addiction to fame and money, or, or just that just need a break, and maybe I or need a break to clear their heads of my head. I don't really know, but something like that, <laughs> being of service to people, then maybe just something in nature because I love being in nature so much. That's why I moved out. I got a house out there. I just spend half my time in the desert, and it's just like it's my fucking church, you know. So I think I would share that and somehow, I don't know, Airbnb it out and have a retreat of sorts. Who fucking knows? Who's, I don't know. Yeah, that's no, dude, I respect that a lot. Whose house in L.A. besides Charlie is the craziest house you've ever like whose house was the craziest house you ever ended up in besides Charlie Sheen's? I mean, it has to be it besides has to be Paris, Paris right? She had Charlie, a dance. She had a club you found yourself through friends at someone else's house. And you're like, damn, I can't believe I'm at this person's house. Yeah, Prince had a house for a while that he rented. There was I remember getting invited to Prince's house, and he would do like these after-hours parties at like four in the morning. And you'd walk in, and it was the Prince logo was shining on the floor, 
and it was like this mansion that he rented that was up in the birds which is a part of the hollywood hills or i think it was the birds it's like this one area they call the birds and uh that was really impressive was going to his place um and and then there was one also recently that um, my friend Brandon Williams is the number one real estate agent in the country and he sells every celebrity their house in LA. So I always get to go to these like, uh, you know, open houses for these $30 million homes. And there was one that he sold for $70 million. That was, uh, the most incredible, like cool, crazy house with like, there was a $3 million Bugatti when you walk in that was on a rotating display, like it was like a car lot. And the, the car alone was $3 million as you walked into the $7 million house. And it was the guy who invented Minecraft, that's yeah. the game. Uh, yeah. He bought this house. You could look it up online. And it was just like this really state-of-the-art, crazy $70 million fucking house that was in uh, Beverly Hills. That one really blew me away. There was like a fucking a candy room where there was just a whole room filled with like candy up to the walls. You could just pick unlimited candy. I mean, it was like a, it was like a fucking Willy Wonka house. I remember that one. That was the one that Jay-Z and Beyonce lost. They were, they wanted to buy it and they didn't, they got outbid by someone else. I was the guy. I went to that house as it for like a day. It was the, right before it sold, my friend Brandon hosted a, uh, like to show the house because it was so special. So that one blew me away. I remember that one. And yeah, yeah, that was pretty impressive. And then I ended up at Leonardo DiCaprio's house once after hours. And that was, he had a pretty sick house. This was 15 years ago. Paris had the nightclub in her house. That was always fun. Uh, but her and Charlie both live in the same gated community area. So those are sort of like track houses. They all look the same. Like that's not really my style. Like I like a little more fucking weird house, you know? But uh, Did they ever hang out together? What's that? Did Paris and, and uh, Charlie hang out or did they like see each other when they're like walking around the neighborhood? They must just know each other. They, they just know each other. other. Yeah, they must know each other. I think because I can't remember. Like uh, I think Charlie asked me once. He's like, "Yeah, I want to say hi and meet her, but I don't know her." He's just such a nice guy. He's like, "Should I just go over and say hi?" I'm like, "I'll introduce you," but I don't know if I ever did. Uh, but yeah, yeah, surreal. Who is who is like the most famous person you've seen while you're out just partying anywhere? Any party you look over and you're like. Holy shit, that's Oprah dancing on the table. Like, what is that moment? I saw Elon Musk out. That was because he's, like, more than a famous, like, actor or something. I guess what it is for me, it's like I see so many actors and musicians that I don't get as impressed by that because I'm in that world. But Elon Musk is someone who's, like, changing the world, you know? Like, mm-hmm. motherfuckers making spaceships, you know? Um, <laughs> I saw him out, and it was like, everyone's like, whoa, dude, that's Elon Musk. Like, that was a heavy one. Uh who else? Um, yeah, that uh, a Prince was pretty crazy seeing Prince. Um, I remember once I, I got introduced to Stevie Wonder uh, and my mom growing up listening to Stevie Wonder. My whole childhood it was her always playing Stevie Wonder. So I remember I invested in a restaurant in New York and I just put in like a little bit of money. But when I went to the opening of it, Stevie Wonder was there. And I remember some of his entourage thought that I was the owner of the restaurant when I was simply an investor. So they go, oh, Stevie wants to meet you. You're the owner, right? And I wasn't about to be like, no. So I was like, yeah. And I got to sit down with Stevie Wonder for 10 minutes as he just held me for 10 minutes and he's just shaking my hand and he's just asking me like, hey man, do you think you could put my favorite drink on the menu? Thank you for having me in your restaurant. And I'm just sitting there going, ah, he thinks I'm the owner. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and I said, yeah, man, whatever you want. He goes, yeah, it's called Champagne Wonder. It's a combination of champagne and guava juice. So I'm like running back to the kitchen going, hey, can you guys TV Wonder this drink? You know, da, da, da. they're like, who are you? I'm like, I'm one of the owners. I was just like, I don't know. <laughs> so that was crazy. 
surreal because it's Stevie Wonder, you know, like, uh, yeah, that, yeah, I don't know. Do you That's so star- funny. Well, do you I know we're starstruck I... anymore. Yeah. Um, are you just over it? Are you, you just over it? I do with athletes because I can't understand how like I'm a big basketball fan. So when I met Steph Curry or like the Warriors, because I'm from the Bay Area, like I felt like a little kid, like, oh, my God, oh, my God, that's Steph Curry. And like I hung out with them once and Clay Thompson and I got to hang out with them and I felt like nervous. And I was like, whoa, I actually feel nervous right now. This is so weird. Like, I don't get this with actors or musicians or, you know, I'm around that shit all the time. Like. I'm friends with Mark Ronson, so I'll be in the studio with him and Lady Gaga and, like, the biggest rock stars all the time, and I'm around it, and it's just normal. But when I'm watching Steph Curry play basketball, to me, that's like a superhero, you know? So basket, I'd say I do get starstruck around, like, certain athletes because they're superheroes yeah. to me because I can't yeah. how they do that, you know? So, so I know we we need to wrap up here. It's getting late. So, Adam, I'm giving you one more well, question to ask him. Podcast, you know, that's why it's something you're really passionate. And what made you get into the podcast? Tell people about your podcast and why you're passionate about it. Uh, I just wanted to bring it back to the like MTV days, which I did when I, my first thing I ever did was interviewing people on MTV, and I really enjoyed it. And then I hadn't done it since then, and that was um, 23 years ago. And everyone and their mother has a podcast now. I was like, well, what, what makes me so special that I should have one? I'm like, well, you know what I have is that I know everybody. Like, I've met so many interesting people over the years that I figured I can get all these people for one hour out of their life to sit down and talk with me and share some stories. So that's the angle that I have is that I can get really interesting guests, most of them being famous, which is the allure because I've like, that's what people want to hear. So I'm like, yo, I could do a podcast and just ask all these people I've met over the years. Just give me one hour of your life, dude. I just want to shoot the shit. And uh, so I've decided to do one and um, just to do something, just to stay busy. And it's just cool to put like even like, like this right now, like you put your phone down for an hour, you actually talk and have a conversation. And it's kind of like a lost art form now is just talking with your phone away um, and just connecting and having a conversation is like, it's healthy. We don't do it enough anymore. We're just always on our phone and not really connecting. And uh, I'm just enjoying the process. You know, it's not like I'm making any money on it yet. I'm actually, anyone watching, I'm looking for sponsors now for the podcast because I want to get some cool ones to like uh, help pay the rent. So like, if you guys think of anyone that's like <laughs> in like like sponsoring, you know how it is like on the beginning of Rogan, like this episode's brought to you by blah blah. So I'm looking to get some cool sponsors that fit my world. Um, Your brand, so, like, yeah, I like it. Yeah, I just branched off from this big. I was doing the podcast with this really big company, and it was just such a big machine that I was like, this isn't working out. I just want to go do it on my own. So now I'm looking to get some uh, sponsors. So I yeah, that's gonna happen very soon, cool. my friend. You're too talented. And you got too many stories and too many friends that they don't come for you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. All right, my, my last question. I want to know, what's your opinion on all this Harry and Meghan leaving leaving London? You you dated her for a hot second, so what's your view watching this whole thing go down? Well, I'll clear it up. It wasn't really dating her. We hung out one time because we did a TV show together, and n- nothing happened. We never even kissed. It was just like we hung out once in a very non datey way, but you know how it, works. it gets spun into we dated. Um, she was just someone that I met on a TV show and like we got lunch. It was, that was the extent of it, but it looked like, <laughs> or it could be that we were dating, but nothing happened. Just to be clear. Um, it's funny because the tabloids actually, when that story broke, they, uh, a couple British tabloids offered to pay me a lot of money to say a lie that we actually yeah. hooked up. Really? Like, and dude, I, 
I said no to a lot of money because I didn't feel right lying and fucking up the royal fucking family and having some, you know, who knows the fucking KGB. Oh, no, that's Russia. What's the British embassy, like the British fucking government, the parliament? I, I didn't want to be fucking whacked in the alley of <laughs> London because I fucking lied and said that, you know. So nothing happened. So with- so wait wait wait. I, I got to go back to this. So they actually said we're we're willing to pay you extra money just to lie and make yeah. up a story. Yeah, I won't say who, but it was like a British tabloid was like. And what did they want you to say? They wanted me to say that we like you know basically fucked you know or tell us a sexy story or like whatever it was. And I'm like that didn't happen. They're like, well. You know, yeah, we'll pay you this much to say it did. And I was like, nah, I'm just not comfortable with that. What kind of money? It was a lot of money, man. It was like, like I think it was like they offered me like seventy grand. Yeah, Jeez. Dude. Yeah, dude. Yeah, and I and said, and is this? Sorry, I, I'm just I am so fascinated right now. Is this is this one of the more reputable sites, or is this like a trashy place that you're kind of not surprised? You know, I they all. Uh, I, I don't even remember. I just got hit up a bunch when it happened and it was one I can't even I'm not just saying this and I wouldn't say it if I remembered, but I don't remember right now which one it was. But it was like one of the bigger British tabloids that just wanted a juicy story. I mean, that was a big, you know, when that was happening, they're just reaching for anything. And uh, so I just said the truth, which was basically like, yeah, we hung out one time and got a bite to eat and like nothing happened and took a lot less money for that. I didn't feel right doing it. Like there's a time in my life where maybe I would have been like, yeah, I'll say that. But I'm like, eh, that doesn't feel right. And I don't need the money that bad. So I said no. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. You know what's what's interesting? I had a, a similar, I mean, it's not a similar, not totally similar, but it was a story about just kind of seeing behind the curtains of some of these magazines. And I remember there was a, a magazine, I won't say the name of it, and they had like, uh, a room where Anna Nicole Smith had supposedly died. And obviously we were like, oh, well, how did they get that photo? I reached out to a couple people, come to find out. They just staged a room at the same hotel and said she died in it and put it on the cover and said, this is the room Anna Nicole Smith died in. And I was shocked. I was like, how do you how do you mislead people like that and just put it out there for the world when that wasn't the case at all? Yeah, it's you know what, man, nothing surprises me in this business. It's a very strange, it's a strange world. And I guess, you know, a lot of times they'll just do anything for a story because it's just about, I guess, in the end of the day, it's just about money. They want to sell something. So sometimes they'll do shit like that. It's just, it's very bizarre. <laughs> yeah, you, you, but at the, we're in a very weird world, guys, in this Hollywood world, you know? It's weird. And I think sometimes you don't realize the effect you have on the people that you're covering. And I think that's one thing that I've realized over time is that at the end of the day, there's someone else on the other side and you may say it to get readers. You may say it to get viewers, but there's people that you're affecting. And like in that case, Meghan Markle would have been affected and she would have been sitting there like, I had a nice time with him that night. I don't understand why he would have gone out there and lied about us having sex when it wasn't true. It's just making, you know, shit for other people. Yeah, I didn't, and, and especially coming between a man and a woman, like fuck the fame, fuck that there's a royal family, whatever. Just even just like like hurting, like to hurt, not, like if that would have bummed him out in any way, like I just want to be that guy. You know what I mean? Like that sucks. Like wow, yeah. wow, it just just it made me feel gross. Like it was just like, ugh, maybe I'm too nice. I don't know. Like a lot of people might have just done it and said, but like some of my friends were like, bro, just say it. who cares? I'm like I don't like that. It feels weird. I don't know. No, uh, yeah. I. 
I I give you props for sticking to uh, the real story and, yeah. and keeping true to yourself. So, well, Simon, you are fascinating. I think uh, you have lived a life that most people would dream of. Honestly, I think you hang out with the most famous people in the world and you got to party and you've been an actor and a VJ and a rapper and you just kind of have done it all. And so thank you for coming on and talking to us and just being honest and real and raw. I love it. You know, thank you guys for having me on. And, um, yeah, the, uh, as I say it, it's so bizarre. I'm like, it feels like I'm talking about like something else or a movie I saw, but it really is my life. I think I'll write a book one day with as long as I'm not ratting and telling on people and I want to be a rat. But some of the, the best stories would be like throwing people under the bus. So I won't do that. But I think I could. The story's still being told. But eventually I got to write a book with all this stuff because it really is. You know, it, as I'm saying it, I'm like, oh, this is really fucking interesting. You know, like it's just normal. Yeah. Now, but. Yeah, that would. I think people would be really interested in sort of. Uh, you you really do. You got a book. In <laughs> or, your or you could. What you could do is change the names right. on the celebs, and so so you're not actually saying who it is, but you get to hear the story, yeah, and you let people out there wonder who you're talking about, and it would almost drum up more publicity because people would be like, "I think this is about so and so," but we don't really know. Right, right. It's a good idea. <laughs> um, yeah, I think one day I'll do that. I still feel there's some more chapters to be written. So, and uh, I got a few more years before I completely disappear in the desert and start the retreat. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, I love it. Well, where can people find you on social media? Uh, Instagram is SimonRex415. That's uh, the San Francisco area code I grew up in because someone had used SimonRex. So I put a 415 at the end in case you're wondering. Uh, Twitter is SimonRex. And uh, I have a Facebook uh that I, I've never used Facebook, but I have one. My manager set up. I think it's. I think the Facebook is Dirt Nasty, just like it sounds. And then my YouTube is Dirt Nasty, also. So um, my music character. And uh, yeah, I guess that's it. And the podcast is called Nervous Rex. It's on all platforms. Just type in Nervous Rex R E X, just like it sounds. And I got about fifty episodes up with Charlie Sheen's on there and uh, some cool guests. So yeah, check it out. That was really good. He was fun. Like I, 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 we say this every goddamn time we do a podcast, but the people like, and I, I didn't know how to say it to him. Be like, you're not an A-lister, but that's not what we want. Like he's the perfect person that we want. We want these people that aren't afraid to like talk and have a personality and like it's not going to ruin their career. Like these are the people that I love having on our podcast. He's lived. He's he's in his mid forties. But he's lived such a life. And yes, he even says, I'm not the biggest star in the world. He doesn't want to be that famous. But he is, does have some sort of fame. But he's been around yeah. some of the biggest people in the world. And he was around Hollywood when it was still rock and roll, when it wasn't all about cell phones. You know, he's there for yeah. the whole transition. He was there when stars were made. And he was there when stars were basically were ruined blind. their whole career. You know? Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, <what he's- laughs> stars were blind with... Uh- <laughs> Paris Hilton, he was literally yeah. her right-hand man at that time. <laughs> yeah, that's right, but it's great. It's good song, by the way. Good callback. It actually was a really catchy yeah, song. Yeah, yeah, but uh, interesting dude, man. They're super interesting. So, well, that was a good one. I, I had fun on that. So, uh, yeah. Well, I guess, uh, well, guys, if we you can... uh, want to check out more, we got some really good guests here coming on the Hollywood Pot. Uh, we got to fix that one. <laughs> 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 oh, shit. <laughs> Well, uh, I'm sorry. We were doing so good until that. Um, well, guys, uh, thank you for listening. If you like that, we got a lot more guests coming up in the next few weeks. 
Uh, you could find me at, at Adam Glynn, G L Y N, on all platforms. Dax, you can find him at Dax Holt, D A X H O L T. Dax, it's all yours, my friend. That's it. We're done here. Later. A part of the media production.